You guys are going to be on tape. Uh -oh. You know, you should provide visor caps. <laughs> I, can, I can see you perfectly. Now I don't see you. All right, so um, all right. So tonight we're gonna, it's going to be an interactive discussion. I'm going to be prompting um, our two gentlemen. But again, I did want to hear I did want you guys to hear the heart of who Cornerstone is. And uh, um, I'll also let them kind of start. Um, kind of the first thing I want to kind of start with is. Um, um, tell us, maybe Melvin, you can start. Just okay. tell us how long you've been at Cornerstone and, um, okay. and just even how you kind of got started. And you guys also, if you went to the connection classes, you may have heard about um, Bishop Albert Brisbane, Pastor Terry's grandfather. And I think it's just really interesting to see how you even got connected with Bishop Brisbane and how it all started back in 1950. Well, we think it was 54. Um, Glenn was, uh, had just been born. You know, you know my son Glenn? <laughs> All of you? <laughs> Most of them do, I think. <laughs> so, uh, so he's one of the original members. It wasn't always called Cornerstone. To begin with, it was the United Pentecostal Church. That's how we started out. Then we dropped uh, their organization and we became independent and we called ourselves Apostolic Temple. And until Terry took over, T Pastor Terry took over, that's, that's what, that was the name, uh, Apostolic Temple. And uh, he changed it to Cornerstone. So that, uh, the, the way it began, the way it began was uh, Pastor Brisbane, uh, that'd be Terry's grandfather, came into San Francisco to hold a, to hold a, a series of meetings at what was the, uh, the church that we were attending at uh, Andover and Crescent. How many of you know that neighborhood? Andover and Crescent. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe now it's a mosque. I think I drove by there, I, I believe I drove by there recently and, and saw it was a mosque. Anyway, uh, he was holding meetings there and uh, uh, well, I'll, try to, I'll try to shorten it. Mm -hmm. He ended up at the VA hospital out in, in, uh, in uh, Fort Miley be because of, a, of an illness that he had. Needed, need, he needed surgery. In the meantime, the church had some internal problems and the pastor left. We got a new pastor. Uh, Sister Johnson and I decided we didn't, we didn't want to sit there under that pastor, and it would be a good time to change churches. So, but where do we go? We had no place to go. So we went out to Fort Miley, visited with Pastor Brisbane. He was an evangelist, by the way, traveling evangelist. His wife was living with Sister Brisbane. You all know her. She sits by that post. Yeah, Terry's grandmother. Uh, she was living up in Chico uh, while he was on the evangelistic road by himself. And uh, I said to him, uh, if you start a church, I'll back you. I'll help you. And that's how it began. And we had the first meeting. Uh, we were living out on Silver Avenue across from the, what used to be, what was the name of the Bible school? Simpson College. Simpson, yeah, Simpson College. Uh, used to be called Simpson College. We were not directly across the street, but a block toward Mission, one block toward Mission, but that's, that's where we lived. And that's where the first meeting began. I can still remember it. Pastor Brisbane preaching to six of us, five of us, plus the children. We had, we had Dwayne and Glenn, and Brother and Sister Brisbane had, uh, had uh, Terry's father, uh, Bobby, uh, uh, Terry's father was, uh, yeah, Bob, and, uh, and Craig. Those, those two children, they had two children, we had two, and there's a couple that now lives over in Modesto, 
um, uh, they were with us too, and they had one, one child. So there was five children and six adults, and that's how we started. Yeah. And, and, and John, also, could you tell us about how, I, I think it was through your wife, how you got invited to Cornerstone and where your faith was at the time. I think that was very interesting for everyone to hear. Yeah. Um, well, she was coming to Cornerstone in 1982. She came here with my uh, two sons. In fact, they found a place. They followed a couple in, and they liked what uh, Terry's grandfather was speaking, so they decided to come here. And so they talked her into it, but not me. I was going to Catholic church. <coughs> I was brought up as a Catholic. I never knew my mother. She died when I was a baby. And my father put me into a um, uh, nun's home in the Bronx. And so I really grew up with the nuns. And uh, after the service, I came out here and uh, and I married my <coughs> wife. And uh, well, she came in 82. And then I actually, she every Sunday, she would ask me, would you like to come with me? And I said, no, I'm going to Catholic Church. And uh, the Lord saved me in September of 1982. And uh, I was always telling her I'm going to Catholic Church until the Lord put on my heart, you're not to go to Catholic Church anymore. Hmm. So I says, I says, what am I going to do? And so I said, I'll watch TV for one week. So I put on the TV in the morning and watch the preacher, and the Lord says, no, you're to associate with like Christians. So she asked me, would you like to come with me? I says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so i never forget, I walked through those double doors that first time, and I felt the Holy Spirit come, me, come on me so strong and told me, well, this is where you belong. Now, when I say I, I talk to the Lord, I'm not saying I heard a voice. I never heard a voice. But he talked through my mind. He put sure. those words in my Amen. mind. Yeah, and that's how I started with the church here. You know, yeah. now let, let me just briefly uh, elaborate on where we went from my living room. We didn't stay in my living room very long. <laughs> We rented a hall uh, called Sokol Hall. It was right in the back of the Mint. And I don't know if it's still there or not. And then we, we were probably in there for maybe a year, and <coughs> we rented Townsend Hall. Is that, is, Townsend Hall is in the Haight-Ashbury, and I don't know if it's there. But um, then after we had been there uh, for uh, a few months or years, I, I can't remember the all those details. Now, we, we bought a place on Dubos up close to market. And uh, it, was a, it was a remodeled home, three, two stories, really typical San Francisco home. But they had taken the living room and made a big, and, and the bedrooms that were in back of it, and made a big uh, assembly hall. Not too big. We had, we had 30, 35 people in there when we moved into here. We, we were full over there, and that's when we when we decided to look at this place. Tell them how you got this place. Pardon? Tell them how you got this place. How we got this? Yeah. Well, this, this was owned, uh, owned by the Church of Christ. They're out on Brotherhood Way. And, uh, and uh, we, we paid, they wanted $57,000 for this. <laughs> and uh, so we put our, our building for sale. Doc Undertaker, the, the funeral hall on the corner of Market and Dubos immediately bought it. Only we told him, well, now, you can't have it unless we get this place. So he says, that's all right, I put my money in escrow. So we searched and we searched and we searched. We talked to uh, probably, oh, I don't know, dozens of bankers. They would not give us any money. Hmm. Uh, we, we had, what, 30 people, we're going to, uh, he said, if you had a, if you had a, a, a hundred people that was paying, uh, that would pledge a dollar a month, we'd loan you the money, but 30 people pledging $10 a month, no, no, can't do that. <laughs> hmm. So anyway, we finally gave up, we gave up looking for money, and we told the Church of Christ people we're not going to buy it. And they immediately got a hold of Mr. Felder, the undertaker, and said, don't take your money out of escrow. We're going to make a deal with them people. Well, the deal they made was the deal we offered them in the, in the first place. We, we, he paid us $25,000 for that, for that building on Dubos. And then we, we needed, what, another 
25 plus 7, another 32,000. We asked them to carry that. And uh, they turned us down because they needed the money for furniture for their place on Brotherhood Way. So they wouldn't do it. But that's the deal. They, find, they, they said, don't take your money out of escrow. We're going to make a deal with those folks. And that's the deal they made. They, they signed the first note. Mm. <laughs> well, so when we gave up, God took over. Amen. Amen. And I think most of you know, um, I mean, that's really heart, heartwarming for me because, again, most of you know that um, one of my roles here at Cornerstone is to look for our next facilities. Basically, you know, we're, a lot of churches, they may be happy with our, our situation. You know, again, it's in a certain sense of a nice problem to have, right? The fact that we're overcrowded, we barely have enough space for people coming in, having to ask our members to come to the Saturday night or 9 a.m. so that we may leave space for 10.30 in noon. Again, why? Because it's our, it is our mission. It is, it's our heart to sure, do outreach. And it's not something that we're satisfied with. And we've been, we've been in this search to ask God to allow us to minister to more people. And again, it's not simply just about, you know, we're not, our aspirations is not simply to be just about, about the numbers, but the fact that we want to reach more souls. And I want to, I want to kind of touch on what, what Brother Melvin Johnson just shared about how, okay, 30 people. Now, again, we kind of laugh now knowing real estate prices in San Francisco, right? This yeah. building for 57000 back in... 57000 About 60s, mid-60s. Well, uh, it had to be, uh, I don't know, I guess in the early 60s we got, we got into here, yeah. About five, maybe 62. Right. I want to kind of challenge you guys. I know some of you guys are, are fairly new to Cornerstone, and maybe in your previous church you've been in this, maybe in this situation where you kind of have to ask yourself, right? Is, am I going to be part of a community? Am I going to make the sacrifice, the commitment, to really be part of a church that's going to um, have an impact? Okay. And, and again, it's, again, I, I'm, I'm racing ahead here for some of you, but I just want you guys to just to hear and understand this is a commitment that 30 people made. And in a certain sense, we're reaping the benefits because 30, 40 people back, gosh, 40 years ago made his commitment. And again, one quick tangent, we're going to share a little more about our kind of financial situation in the late summer. If you keep your ears open, we're going to have a community meeting to kind of share about what's going on in a little more detail. But the fact that we're debt-free, I mean, essentially, we are saving for the future right now. And again, that is because the faithfulness of, of, of the, the, their generation. Um, now, I also wanted to hear, just in terms of testimonies, okay, you know, maybe, maybe John, you started to kind of share about, I, I think it was very intriguing for, for everyone to hear how oh, you, were seeking, you were seeking, you were pestering the, the priest at the Catholic Church yeah, for yeah. answers. And so you were seeking, and and right about that time is when, can you share a little more about how and why, you, how you came to, uh, I mean, that urge to know more, that how God was drawing you towards. Well, towards I, being a Catholic, you know, they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, except in the sign of the cross that the Catholics make. So um, one day I was, uh, it was, uh, let's see, in September 82, it was a Sunday, and uh, the church at that time was at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was waiting for my wife to leave with the boys because uh, I knew this preacher was on at 10 o'clock and I wanted to turn the TV on. We had a small TV on our kitchen table, nine inch. And so they left. They left and I turned it on. Who's color? <laughs> <laughs> they left and I turned it on and he was on and he started talking about Jesus, how, what he did for us on the cross and how he sacrificed. And I looked down and all of a sudden I saw water. And I says, wow. And I realized I was crying. I didn't even know it. And all of a sudden, this presence came all around me. I felt the Holy Spirit. I, at that time, I didn't know it. But it was the Holy Spirit around me and picked me up, put me back in a bedroom, and I had to get down on my knees and flat on the floor and just hmm. confess my sins. I know there was something holy there, but I didn't know what it was. But I knew I had to confess my sins to the Lord. And as soon as I did that, I felt this presence actually come into me. I felt it come and the first thing it said, get into the Bible and start reading. Amen. 
And I got into, I started with Matthew, and I went through from Matthew to Revelation as fast as I could. I took the Bible to, to work, go in the bathroom, and start reading them. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a beautiful time. I never knew that the Lord could be so wonderful, you know, in those days. But I had a lot of questions. I was still going to Catholic Church at that time. I had a lot of questions, and all I had to do was think of the, the, what the question was, and he'd give me the answer. He'd let me mm. know. Different ways, even sometimes, I remember one time, I used to go to work on Saturday by myself, and I had the city car. My kids were um, just saved also about maybe six months, and they were into the book of Revelations. They wanted to know how to get to heaven quick. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember him, I remember my son David said, uh, the church is going to go up into heaven. And being a Catholic, the church is a building. I said, wait a minute, there's going to be a lot of holes in the, in the, in the earth. That's something wrong. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I'm thinking about this as I'm driving to work. I opened the door to the office. I went in. I sh turned on the radio, and just like that, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what came out. Yeah. Man, I got down on my knees, and I thank the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Many things like that happened. Uh, sure. Yeah. But when, yeah. I, when I came into the church, which, <laughs> which was about um, early, about February of 1983, uh, the Lord was like that with me, but not as much because we had Terry's grandfather and I could go to him for answers for different things in the Bible, which I did quite often. Amen. Well, also, Brother Johnson, if you can kind of share <coughs> how you came to know the Lord and maybe even segue to... Myself? Yes, oh. and, and, and then okay. I, I want to get into how, how God called you. Okay. And I think that's very interesting for our okay. guys to hear. Well, uh, of course, I was raised, I was raised in... in um, in a Protestant uh, family, Christian church. My, my parents went uh, to, uh, I don't know whether, whether you've ever heard of Old Ninth Street Mission in Oakland. Anybody ever heard of that? No? Well, you, like, you've probably heard of Azusa Street. Mm -hmm. Los huh? Angeles, yeah. My mother was a young, young child in Azusa Street. Hmm. Anyway, and my grandfather was an itinerant street preacher. He, he'd, he'd go from San Francisco to Los Angeles and preach on the streets on the way down and then come back hmm. and preach on the streets on the way back. So uh, back and forth. That's, that's what my grandfather did. They had a little organ they, they'd set up on the, on the street, pump organ. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's really going way back. <laughs> so so I, was, I was raised in a Christian family. But I... I Typical young teenager, you don't really take it too personally, you know, because there's too much fun out there. You, you know what I'm saying. I don't have to elaborate on that. But came a time when I was about to go into the Army. I was, uh, was going to graduate in January. We uh, graduated half, year, half term, half a year early. I turned 18 on February, and the war had ended, World War II had ended, not really ended, but hostilities had ceased in July of 45. Feb January of 46, I, I graduated, and February of 46, I enlisted in the Army. But I knew this was coming because I was going to be drafted if I didn't enlist. And that summer of 45, we were at camp meeting up in Paradise Camp. And I didn't want to go in the Army without knowing that I knew God. I had been taught about God, but I didn't know God. And so that's when I gave my heart to the Lord. Hmm decided I'm not going in the army without him. Amen. And uh, so that's, that's how, so, basically so, how I... So if we can next move to, the other reason I requested, I, I asked Brother Johnson and Brother Georgia to share with us is, um, they're not retired by the way, they're just not, they're not just sitting there watching TV, they're actually still active in I'm ministry. going to India on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, that's, today's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I'm on the way. So, 
I, I think it'd be interesting for our guys to hear. So talk to us about the calling you received. Yeah. And how many years you were in China and then how many years you were in India serving as a missionary? Okay. Okay. Well, there used to be benches here. How, how many can remember the benches? <laughs> wooden benches. The wooden benches, yeah. Well, we'd come in, we'd come into church, and the first thing you'd, you'd do is you'd kneel down at the, at the, on the bench and pray. And if Pastor Brisbane caught you gossiping, <laughs> you were in big trouble. <laughs> he wanted you down there praying. So, uh, so I, I uh, actually, this was after I had come back from, from Japan. While I, while I was in Japan, I, was, I had gotten involved with uh, some uh, Christian GIs in, in Tokyo, and uh, the Ginza Methodist Church was our meeting place on Saturday evening, and uh, from there we were dispatched during the week to different uh, Japanese district homes, and uh, we'd, we'd have Bible studies. We thought we knew all about the Bible. Yeah. 18 years old, 19 years old, and we were experts. <laughs> <laughs> But we, but we, we had fun. We, I, I enjoyed it. Coming home on the boat, coming home on the boat. When my time was over, I, I was praying. I said, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a missionary. I'm going back to Japan. I'm gonna be a missionary. And God speaks to my heart. And I can't tell you exactly how I knew God was speaking, but I knew He was. He says, it's not Japan, it's Tibet. Hmm. Nineteen years old. 1947 or 48, Tibet is just a dark, far away, unfriendly, scary place. And that didn't sound good at all. <laughs> well, to make, to make the story a little shorter, I never talked to God about being a missionary again. <laughs> So, came home, got married. You know the, the story of the church beginning, so we helped Pastor Brisbane uh, build this assembly. Uh, well, God builds it, but he, used, he uses people. So, so we, that's what we were engaged in. And uh, the years went by, the years went by, and the years went by, and I'm working out at the airport, and, uh, and um, I'm, I'm getting close to retirement, but I'm not there yet. And I'm down there praying one Sunday morning, or one Sunday evening. We had, we had service on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, Friday evening, and sometimes Monday. on Saturday. Monday. With special meetings. And Monday. So, that we, you know, and you were there. You were there. <laughs> That's right. You were there or else. <laughs> There was a couple of ladies in the church that would come in late, and Pastor Brisbane says they're going to be late for their own funeral. <laughs> so, I need to say that from up here. Secret sensitive came a little later. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I'm down there praying, and God says to me, it's, God says to me, pray for China. And I said, yes, Lord, I'll pray for China. I begin to pray for China. And next Sunday morning, I come in. I kneel down. Pray for China. And I, yes, Lord, I'll pray for China. And I pray for China. This went on for week after week, you know, several weeks, quite a few weeks. Gradually, the message began to change. It's go to China. And I'd switch prayers. <laughs> I, I pray about something else. I didn't want to hear God say that to me. And um, I'll tell you what, if that happens to you, uh, you're <laughs> you cannot fight God. You, it, what it does, it just builds a wall between you and God. Hmm. You can't reach him. I couldn't go down. I couldn't get down there and pray anymore. I had to say yes to God. I had to. And then, and then it was, I wasn't ready to retire. I couldn't retire. I didn't know how this was going to happen. Hmm. 
And uh, so I'd, I'd talk to, to the elder preachers that I knew about, and they'd say, just be patient. God will work it out. And God did work it out. In a, in a short while, United offered us early retirement. I took early retirement. We moved to Hong Kong and um, ran away from home and uh, <laughs> moved to Hong Kong. We smuggled Bibles into China for about nine years. Mm. Nine, nine, yeah, about nine years. We, thousands of Bibles we took into China. Got arrested one time. Mm. <laughs> Got stopped at the border many times. But uh, anyway, uh, that, was, uh, that was a great experience. It was, uh, the ministry in China was a one-on-one -on -one ministry. You'd, uh, you'd get lots of opportunities to talk to uh, young college-age Chinese that wanted to, wanted to practice their English, hmm. and they'd uh, want to know what you were doing there, and you'd have a chance to talk to them about Jesus. So that just happened day after day after day over there. Nine yeah. years we did that. And then, uh, then we uh, got the opportunity to, to go down to India and help a, uh, uh, a, a church planting ministry just beginning. And that's what we're involved in now. That's where I'm going when I, on Wednesday morning, I'll be teaching at the Bible school that we've just completed building. Uh, we've been operating out of a temporary structure and, uh, and now we've got a brand new structure and I'm going to be the featured speaker at the dedication and, hmm. and get to teach them for a week before I come back home. And uh, so that's what, we're, that's what we're doing. Amen. Well, hold that thought for one second because I definitely want to elaborate on the amazing things that are going on in India. But I also want to hear from John. So I think it was also an amazing story you were telling me about how you offered yourself to the Lord and how God oh, made, yeah. made a, a, a strong calling, calling for, yeah. for, your, for your ministry. Yeah, that was um, after I came into this church and the Lord told me this is where he wants me to be. Uh, I felt, you know, I, I needed to do something for the Lord, but I didn't know what. So I'm kneeling down by that pole over there when we had the wooden benches, and I said to the Lord, I says, I got to do something for you, Lord. Give me something to do. I don't want to sit around doing nothing. Hmm. This, uh, this was after I retired, by the way. No, I was still working. Yeah. Still, I've worked for the city for 32 years. Um, so I got, by the way, I got saved when I was 55 years old. Hmm. So I, uh, I told the Lord I didn't want to stay till 65 in the city. So uh, he made, he, I believe it, the Lord arranged it so I could get out at age 60 and still support my family at the time. And so I was kneeling there by that pole and I said, Lord, I need something to do. I don't want to sit around doing nothing. So that was one Sunday. The following Sunday, Pastor Bruce Bing, David's, uh, uh, Terry's uh, grandfather, invite uh, uh, the Gideon speaker in. And the fact that he's a uh, fellow still into Gideon's today, he's a person in way that. And he was talking uh, what the Gideons do, giving out Bibles and everything, and schools, prisons, and hospitals, and colleges. And so uh, I said, gee, maybe that's what uh, I could do. So I saw him after the service. He had an application. He says, you've got to be in good standing with the church, with the, the pastor you're with. And uh, they would send, our, we have one headquarters, which is in Tennessee. And they send their applications back there. And then if they approve them, you come back and you're, uh, you become a Gideon. So it was approved in about two weeks. And he told me it was all approved. I, I can join the Gideons. And uh, the reason I joined this organization, which I don't like organizations, is because 100% of the monies we collect from churches and ourselves goes directly to buy Bibles. We pay for our own expenses wherever we go in the world. Wherever the Lord calls us, the different cities or around the world. We have 180, 180 countries we uh, have Gideons in around the world. And so uh, he, I, he, uh, two weeks later I got uh, into the Gideons and then I said to the Lord, I says, I don't like meetings. All I want to do is give out your word. Hmm. And <laughs> two days later, the president of the San Francisco camp called me and he says, how would you like to be Christi uh, uh, scripture chairman? I says, yeah. I says, what happened to the other guy? He says, he's a young fellow, he has three little kids and he can really can't do it. So I, uh, 
That was 1983, and I'm still doing the same thing today. Amen. And, uh, and Amen. the Lord has really blessed me on that in many, many ways. I can't tell you. I, uh, let me tell you one story. I didn't tell you this one. I, while I was still working for the city, I, was, I remember at lunchtime I was going into Emporium. You know, I don't know, Emporium in those days had the alley, the back alley of Market Street, parallel to Market. They had a back door there you could go in. Anyway, I went in there to pay a bill, and I came out, and here's a guy lying on the sidewalk. And the Lord says to me, help him. So I went, I, I asked the guy, he says, you want some help? And he says, yeah. And he's, nobody, people are walking right by him to, like he wasn't there. And he says, yeah, I need help. So I picked him up. I put him in a city car. I didn't know what to do with him. I said, I said where can I take you or anything? And he's mumbling. Duh, duh, duh. And so uh, he had a wallet. So he took out his wallet. He says, look, I I'm a veteran. Ah, that's what I'll do. I, in Fort Miley. I took him out of 42nd and Commence Street, where Fort Miley is, to the hospital. And I drove in the back way where the, the ambulances go. I went inside, I got a wheelchair, I put him in the wheelchair and I wheeled him up. Here comes a doctor out to me. He says, I said, this guy's a veteran and he needs help. Oh, we'll take care of him. He took him in. And I says, if that wasn't the Lord. I mean, Amen. Yeah. Amen. The way he Good directed start. everything to, and it was no work. And you know what I found out? If you do the Lord's work, he helps you do it. Amen. And it's very true. Amen. It was Amen. amazing. Well, I, I, I want to kind of sit with that for a moment. I mean, if we go back to the story that uh, Brother Melvin just told, to have a calling and to wait 20, 30 years, and, and I appreciate your honesty there that, you know, sometimes God calls us to things that we may say, no, 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 I'm not listening, I'm not listening. <laughs> and, but eventually when you are faithful and you respond to what, what God calls you, he will make a way. Amen. And... And, and again, some of us try to run away from God, and, and some of you may, may have that, that kind of story that um, God talks at our heart. But now, oh, and, and, oh, gosh, I got four different thoughts at the same time. But, <laughs> but again, um, the information about the North India Ministries is, is at, at the table, so if you want to pick up and, and learn more about that. And I, I went to a presentation by Gideon just, uh, just recently, and I heard, how many of you have, um, I know I talk about it once in a while, but how many of you heard of uh, Rabbi Zacharias? Oh, yeah. Right? It turns out that, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Rabbi was a little boy and he was in the hospital, mm. his dad had essentially disowned him. 17 years old. Yeah. yeah. Disowned him. He said, you're worthless. I, I can't even help you. And I believe that there was a Gideon's Bible mm -hmm. in, his in his hospital. And, that, and that's essentially what Gideons do, is that they distribute Bibles in as many places. If, if you go to most of the hotels, they partner with a lot of the hotels yeah. to provide Bibles in the hotel rooms. And, and at the presentation, so it turns out, Rabbi Zacharias, that's the Bible he read, and that's how he accepted the Lord. Amen. And, and you think about, you know, the Bible says the word of God does not return mm -hmm. void. Okay. That you may, you may think that you're, you're not having any impact on anybody when you're sharing the word, but all we're really asked to do as Christians is to spread the seed, to plant the seed. God will water, and God will, will, will harvest. And we're just asked to be faithful to, to share the gospel. Amen. I also want to just go back. I think it'd be interesting for this audience to hear the hows. How, could, could you share about how best to hear from the Lord? I mean, so, so what does that mean? I mean, both of you had very strong impressions, almost to a point where you felt like you heard from the Lord. But... Can you share a little bit about how, how would you advise this group and when many of them are really thinking about their future, how, would, how best do well, they listen to and hear from God in their calling? You know, the, the, um, we have a lot of stories in the Bible where God spoke audibly to, and uh, I, I know God has spoken to me, but I don't know that I've ever heard an audible voice like, like we read in the Bible. But, uh, you know, the proof of, of, the proof of what happened right there, that bench that I spoke about, the proof that God spoke to me was, well, I, I, see, I see two things to, that, that are, one, I didn't want to hear it. 
that was, that was my flesh. I didn't, I didn't want God to say that to me. I didn't want to go to China. Well, oh, by the way, I forgot. To, uh, in our nine years working in China, I got to Tibet twice. <laughs> See, God, God says it's Tibet. Now, I don't know what he, for sure what he might have meant by that, but I'm taking it to mean that I would at least get there once. And I got there, I got there twice with a load of Bibles and a load of tracts, and uh, that's, a, you know, what happened up there is another interesting story, but we don't have time for that tonight. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think that you'll know, you'll know when God, when God speaks. First of all, first of all, what, what, when God speaks to you, it better line up with the Bible. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's not but God talking to you. And uh, so, uh, it it will if it's God, and you and you don't know right away. I believe I I believe I do right away because I I tried to I tried to escape it. <laughs> but if you don't, just be patient. Keep it in your heart. God will make it plain. He has a way of making things plain in his time. Amen. In his time. Amen. See, your prayer life, your prayer life will let allow God to work in you. Your study of his word will give you the growth. It'll, that, that'll cause you to grow. Study his, learn, learn about him. Hmm. That'll make you grow. You pray, God will be able to use you. Amen. Well, I definitely appreciate it. And, and, and perhaps, John, do you want to also share about, it's somewhat of a requirement for Gideon, but you were talking about how right from the start when you became a Gideon, they had a pretty strong and a high, high bar for, for reading the word. Yeah. Yeah, we're... we're we're required as Gideons to read the Bible through every year. January 1, we start in Genesis. December 31st, we end in Revelation. And we continue every year doing that. And I've been doing it for many, many years. And you know the funny part about it is the fact that every time I read the Bible over and over, I always get something new. The Lord Absolutely. Something, it's amazing. Absolutely. It's an amazing book. It's alive. It really is alive with the Lord in it. Yeah. And uh, we do that every year, every day. And prayer. We pray, I pray twice. When I get up in the morning, first thing I do is pray. Sometimes I'm on my knees for an hour or so, whatever the case may be. Mm. And at night before I go to bed, the same thing. I, I don't care how late it is or how early, I have to do that. I used to be able to, I, I had to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning when I was working. I'd get up at 6 because I wanted to pray before I got ready and got, went to work. We used to meet upstairs with, in the dark, I remember, in the wintertime with Terry and a couple other fellows, we had the key to the door, we opened the door in the dark, and we pray in the prayer room upstairs every, every, every morning. Wow. Then we'd go have a cup of coffee over there at McDonald's. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I want to just change gears a bit. Um, and again, I, again I, I invited, I've invited these two gentlemen because some of us have, may have been Christian for a couple years, five years, maybe ten years. But and here are gentlemen who have who've been Christian for a long, long time, and in Brother Melvin's case, like serving the Lord, not just um, becoming Christian, but you know, doing international missionary stuff. Um, share about how you manage through some of the harder, harder phases. So maybe we'll start with you, Melvin. Uh, if you can kind of share how, what were some of your tough spots in well, your walk in your life, and how did, how did God help you through that? Well, I, I think the hardest thing that came upon us is the loss of our two two children. You, I, I don't know, maybe all of you don't, didn't know Dwayne. Did, did everybody here know Dwayne? A handful of us. No one? Yeah. You, you knew Dwayne? Yeah. A few of you, yeah. He, he died in, uh, what, 89? 80, 89? No. 
No. What, no, 99. no, no. 90, 99, 99. He died in 99, yeah, July 99. And then we lost Nancy here this past, uh, this past year in August, I think it was. And uh, so that's, that's probably the hardest thing we've gone through. And, uh, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't the cancer that killed Dwayne. Yeah, sh share about how when, when you first, when he was first diagnosed and yeah. what God had, God had told you. Yeah. We were, uh, he was uh, taking radiation treatments down at Stanford University uh, Hospital and uh, th that eventually is what killed him. 30, 30 some years later, his heart and lungs were just like leather because they, they gave him too much radiation. Uh, but you know, uh, we were going, uh, Pastor Brisbane and Sister Brisbane were going to go on vacation. He says, I'll stay home if you want me to. And I said, no, go ahead, take your vacation, we'll be okay. And so we were going to the airport. We parked in my company parking lot and we were going to walk over to the gates and it's kind of dark, the walkway over there, because, because it's not where normal people would be. I was working there. That's why I knew the, the way to go. And I hear God speaking to me about, we, have, we had Dwayne for 17 years. No. Um, um, no. 19. What did I say? We, we'd had Dwayne for, by this time he's, uh, oh, okay, this happened, this happened when he was a young, when he first got the cancer it's at, the, at the age 17. And, uh, and, and, and uh, the thoughts God's putting in my head are, you've, you've had Dwayne for 17 years now, I want you to give him up. Give him back to me. It's, what I believe God is saying to me. And I says to my wife, Ellen, I said, you know, I think God is telling us that we have to, we, of course, up, to, up until this time, you know, it's just turmoil. It's, it's, it's pain, it's, it's, it's uh, not understanding what's happening, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just an awful experience. And people are coming, they're praying with us, they pray all night long, and, uh, and nothing happens, nothing good is happening anyway. And, and uh, so I said to Ellen what I thought God was saying to me, we gotta give Dwayne up, we just gotta let him loose. If God takes him home, he's ready to go. He was serving the Lord by then, in his own, in his own right. He, he had, given his heart to God, and you gotta give him up. And she says, all right, if God's saying that to you, then that's what, that's what we're gonna do. Hmm. And from, from that moment on, it was, like, it was like walking out of darkness into light. It was a most marvelous hmm. experience. And we never, never concerned ourselves about Dwayne's illness from that point on. And he lived another 30-some years hmm. before he died. And it wasn't the cancer that killed him. It was the treatment hmm. that killed him. So we believe, we believe God healed him. Hmm. That's, that's what we're proclaiming. And uh, we, don't, we don't dismiss what the doctors, the good that the doctors did. We're sure that, we're sure that uh, that, that God has a way of using all of those things together sometimes, but mm. and then and then Nancy's situation was in to was totally different. It was just uh, it was just uh, just hard hard to see her go downhill, and uh, uh, that's probably all I want to say. Amen. Amen. And, and also, John, if, if you could share. Um, Perhaps at the loss of your wife, mm -hmm. someone who was instrumental in, in, in your faith. Yeah. 
Yeah, my wife died of breast cancer in 1993. That was hard because uh, when we found out she'd had cancer, we had to go to the radiation for four years, every day for four years, back and forth. And at the end, mm. she had to take um, chemo. No, she, I'm sorry, she took chemo first and then radiation after that. And I remember I was taking her to the hospital. That was sad. Oh, I tell you, it was a hard time. And I was taken to the, to the hospital, the Peninsula Hospital for radiation. And I went in to get a wheelchair. When I come out, she uh, fell down on the sidewalk. She broke her hip. Mm. And I remember I, the doctor, after he gave her the radiation, said, you've got to take her to the hospital. Something's wrong. So I took her to Kaiser. And uh, they examined her. And she said, she broke her hip. She needs an operation. And this is when the doctor told me, her doctor told me, she said, mm. she doesn't have long to live. That time, he think it, I think he said something like three weeks. And I'm in the hospital there, and the doctor comes to me, and he says, what do you want to do? I had to sign papers, but I was going to have an operation. I didn't know what to do, because I knew she was going to pass away soon. At least that's what the Lord said. And um, so I'm praying there by her bed and everything, and I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the doctor comes back down. Did you make up your mind? I says, no, I don't know what to do. Well, he says, if it was my wife, I'd have an operation even if she was going to die tomorrow. He says, okay, go ahead. And he did. And, uh, and you know, I wanted the Lord to heal her so bad. I was praying every day so hard for her to be healed. And uh, yeah. And I fi and then finally, the week before she died, I said, Lord, she's not getting any better. If you want to take it, go ahead. I had to let go. Mm. Yeah. And then sure enough, a week later, she just died like that. Hmm. In a way, that was a blessing, too, because she was suffering a lot. Even though you she know, even... Well, even when God heals, mm. it's only temporary. That's right. <clears throat> because we're all born to die. Yep. And that's why knowing Jesus is so important. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I, I just have a few more questions, and I do want to transition to, um, I want to give an opportunity for all of us um, I, I think some of what you heard is just, just very powerful about just letting go. You know, some of us, whether it's our careers, whether it's our loved ones, um, whatever it may be, you know, we, we hold on to it like, yeah. like we, we think it, it's yeah. ours or yeah. it's, it's, we're, we own it, we, it's, yeah. God gave it to us. But I think it was very powerful that when we let go, when we let God work through us, okay, that's when, when a lot of the miracles, when... when when God allows and, and heals and allows sure. and, and blesses us. Well, if, if we may kind of start, start to closing, um, I wanted to ask, again, I, I invited them because they are still serving the Lord faithfully. And this being, you know, we're one week away from Father's Day, and I know for some of us, Father's Day is a, a tough time. Um, not, of all, not all of us have had great fathers that, have guided us and have given us strength, have, have called us out. And, um, and so I, 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 wanted, I wanted to ask some of our elder statesmen here to, to talk to you about it. So if, if you have some, some, some thoughts uh, to our, 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 our young generation, essentially, our, this is our, our next generation here of men. So if you have some thoughts and, and sharing about to, to them, well, I th the scripture comes to my mind. Um, what doth the Lord require of thee, O man? Consider that. What doth he require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. That's all. Love, mercy, do, do the things you do, do justly. them justly, be honest, mm -hmm. and walk humbly before God. He will make everything else work out. Maybe not in your time, in your time schedule, as you have it in your head. You know, I, I waited... I think I waited three and a half years after I said yes to God, I'd go to China. I think I waited three and a half years. And uh, I was very impatient. 
I couldn't see how it was going to happen. But God, I've said yes. Why? What's next? Why isn't it happening? But it happened. It happened in his time, not mine. So, what does he require of thee? Just to walk humbly before him. He doesn't require me to figure out how I'm gonna how I'm gonna get to China. He doesn't require that of me. He takes care of that. Amen. Amen. How about you, John? Well, what I would say to the, these young fellows is that remember one thing, this is not your world. You're only here temporarily. Speak up. Speak up. You can't hear me? <laughs> Put it louder. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, you know, we all have to die sometime. And uh, the thing I learned through my life is the fact is when I worked for the city, I made changes, you know, and I thought they were going to last forever. Somebody comes along, takes my place. He does it the way he wants it. So nothing's the same. No. Everything you have in this world is going to decay or get old, and you have to fix it or whatever the case yep. may be. Nothing stays the same. But one thing is certain that will stay the same, that's Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, my suggestion to you guys is make sure you have Jesus in your heart. And whatever he gives you to do, do it wholeheartedly. Sometimes, like Melvin said, I had to learn patience. I was a very impatient person. And sometimes the Lord, I would pray to the Lord for something, and I'd ask him for it right away, and I thought I was going to get it. And like Melvin said, sometimes you have to wait years before it does. But eventually he does come through with what he wants to give you. Sometimes it's slow because he doesn't want you to have it. Just recently, uh, just to give you an idea, is that um, I, I, it was on my heart to, uh, go, to go to Kaiser, become a, a volunteer chaplain, and to see the sick there. And uh, I prayed to the Lord about it and everything, and I waited and waited and waited. And this was about three or four months, nothing happened, you know, and all of a sudden they asked for volunteers. Gave me an application, I filled it out and waited some more time, had to take TB shot and all the examination and whatnot, and eventually uh, they accepted me, and then I had to learn what I had to do, which wasn't very much in relationship to Christianity, because they said that you, what you're visiting is, is so many different religions, so many different people, and you have to be very, very careful how you speak to them. But the first one I went to was last Wednesday, hmm. and I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord really blessed me. Wow. I mean, I saw about six people there, and... Uh, and one guy, so funny. Most of them are Catholic, anyway. One guy, uh, says to me, <laughs> one guy says to me, he says, I haven't been in church for 40 years. He says, I got to go to confession. I says, you want me to call a priest? No, not yet. <laughs> and one lady, she had a pacemaker put in. She, was, she said, you know, I know the Lord. And I, and uh, she lost her daughter when she was 47 years old, and it really hurt Speak her. Speak up. It really your, hurt her much. You let your voice, you let your voice to taper down. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so I, I told her, do you know, I, I looked around because I'm not supposed to say this. I said, do you know Jesus? She said, yes, I know Jesus. So let me, give me your name and address. I took her name and address and phone number. She lives in Pacifica, and I want to call her to make sure she has, uh, she knows the Lord as a personal Savior. So hopefully the Lord will lead me to mm. help her, you know. Amen. And uh, you know, oh, wait a minute. One mm -hmm. uh, I want to tell this one because not everything we, at least I did for the Lord, I was right. We used to, in the Gideons, you go on a lot of blitzes. The blitzes means that you go to different cities, someplace in the United States or in the world, and you flood the city, that particular city with Bibles, and usually it takes around 100,000 or more. Bibles we flood the city with, you know, and take the old ones. The old ones we don't throw away. We give them to prisons, prison ministry. So anyway, uh, this one time we, I went to Salt Lake City. And it was, and it was, yeah. And anyway, it was uh, in October. And it was cold. I mean, it was worse than any winter I could remember. It was so cold, I remember I got up, I was, we were supposed to go 60 miles to a college at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it was dark till about 8. And uh, I got up, I prayed, I got on my knees and prayed and asked the Lord to uh, use me that morning for whatever he wanted me to do. 
I put on, I put on my suit, my tie shirt, a sweater underneath, and my overcoat on top of it. And I went outside, and it was freezing. I was early. Nobody was around. So I went into the lobby to get, stay warm while people came around. And here comes this guy in all by himself. He, he didn't look like a bum or anything. He had a nice shirt on and pants, but no sweater, no nothing. And I says to him, it's pretty cold out there, huh? He says, yeah, it is. All of a sudden, about maybe 10 minutes later, two cops come in. And they uh, told him, he told the guy, you can't stay here. Well, he says, I have no place to go. I don't know where to go. Well, I felt embarrassed for him. So I went out and, and outside. And uh, they told him, they said, if you go around the corner on 2nd Street, there's a, a, a place there that you can get, uh, get warm or something. And so he come out, and he's freezing. You could see it. And he walks around the corner. And that's the last I saw of him. I get on the bus about 7 o'clock. And I'm in the back of the bus. I went all the way in the back. And it's dark. All of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He says, you could have given that man a sweater. You could have given him some money so he can have uh, breakfast at that coffee shop right next door. I tell you, fellas, I prayed all that 60 miles to the Lord to forgive me from what I didn't do and I asked him to do that morning. Yeah. So mm. sometimes, you know, you, you fail the Lord. Yeah. And yet he is so forgiving. Amen. Well, one thing I totally forgot, I, I want to... I I want to actually uh, convey this to both of you and all of you, actually. Pastor Terry definitely wanted me to let all of you know. He, he definitely wanted to be here. Unfortunately, scheduling-wise, his daughter's graduation is tonight. But that's why Pastor Terry himself is not here. All, both of you also knew Pastor Terry when he was, when he was a very young man. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I told Pastor we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> um, he, won't, he won't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Melvin he, used to always say, let's was, pray for him to change he, him. He was a mean kid. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> he was a mean kid. I didn't uh, think he'd ever amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I remember when, uh, when he came to be a pastor, too. I remember his grandfather came down from here, was standing over there in the front pew there, and he said, Terry, come on up here. He put his arm around him. He says, I just heard from the Holy Spirit you're going to be assistant pastor. And he looked at him, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is definitely old school in the sense that, you know, um, one of the things I kept hearing about some of the old stories about Pastor Terry is that even as a young man, that he was very determined. He was he, very... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He couldn't lose in sports. Terry had no, but I mean, I mean, just just he loved the Lord. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And some I, I talked to some of his high school classmates that said, even when he was 16, 17, I, to tell us about his his love for the Lord back then. Mm. Well, you 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 probably know that better than me. I. Well, you were living up here in the city. I was down the peninsula. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, what I know about Terry was he reminded me a lot of me when I was a kid. That's why I liked him. <laughs> But he was, I remember when he was courting his wife, he was really rough with her. <laughs> Man. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, so one Sunday I went up to him, I says, Terry, you're going to marry this girl. You've got to treat her like a woman, you know, like you really love her. He didn't say anything then, but the next Sunday he'd come back to me and he thinks he won't even do that. <laughs> but, but he... Um, when he, I, I, I knew that the Lord was going to use him because when we had testimonies, he'd get up uh, almost it every service and he'd give his testimony and you could, he was a good speaker. You know, as the then. transition period yeah. transpired, you could, you could tell yeah. that uh, God's hand was, was upon him. Yeah. You could see the mantle changing, mm. moving mm -hmm. from the elder skipping one generation and going to Pastor Terry. It was very obvious to us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it happened over a period of years, some time. I don't recall exactly how long the transition took, but it, uh, it was very plain that it was happening. Mm -hmm. he, Amen. He, um, he, he showed his leadership... Uh, before he ever got the mantle, Amen. before Pastor Brisbane took off. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Amen. And I remember, wait a minute. Go 
I remember how he, I remember how he told us how he came to the Lord. Well, he knew the Lord. But he and his brother, uh, Bobby, would uh, be back there doing their homework in high, from high school. And they, the, his grandfather had But he and his brother, uh, Bobby, would uh, be back there doing their homework in high, from high school. And they, the, his grandfather had a visiting pastor was up here. And he saw them doing their homework. And he says, you two boys come up here. And he, they kneeled down over here. And he put their hands on them and says, the Lord wants you both. Mm. And they started, when he prayed for them, they started speaking in tongues. Yeah. You know, pa something. Pastor Brisbane never, never stayed around. Once he'd given it to Terry, yeah. he got out of here. He says, if I stay here, mm. they will be coming to me instead of going to you. And I don't want that. I'm, so he took off. He headed for Chico. He, took, he packed up, and him and Eleanor went up went up to Chico, and of course that's where he passed away, mm -hmm. up there. Mm. You know those bathrooms back there? Dwayne and I, his son and I built the bathroom, the men's bathroom, and then we finally built the women's bathroom too because the women's bathroom was only one over there. You know where the men's bathroom was? The back door there uh, in the, the alley. Under the steps. Underneath the steps. <laughs> under the steps. Yeah, that was the men's bathroom. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't want to give up his office. Yeah, that was his office. That's right. Bishop, Bishop Brisbane you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. he had the, the whole elder. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, oh, one thing that reminds me. Okay. I really am wrapping up here. But I think it would really be good for this group to hear. There was a traveling um, evangelist that one time prophesied about. Oh. He knows the story. Yeah. Could you share that, John? Yeah, he came in and the invite, he, he used to invite a lot of people to speak. Bishop Brisbane used to invite <laughs> he, yeah. he, he He was never reluctant to let a visiting minister right. come up here and speak because he says, if they preach something I don't like, I'll spade it up the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll never But he forget. said? Yeah, we were about only 50 people at that time here. And after this, during his speech, I remember, yeah, he looked around, he pointed his finger like that, and he says, I can see the balconies filled and all this place filled. And we looked at him, he says, and we looked up, sure, yeah, you get it. <laughs> well, yeah, now, as part of that transition, I, um, I remember hearing how, you know, Pastor Terry, as much as he loved his grandfather, you know, it was real fire and brimstone. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Pastor Terry, every time Pastor Terry invited one of his friends to come, he'd spend about an hour prepping his friend about, okay, yeah. this, is, this is what you're about to experience here. And then spend another 30 minutes afterwards kind of, okay, well, explaining, okay, well, this is what. Well, I think that's when the vision of our church changed. So it was about late 80s where Pastor Terry and his leadership team really had a heart to reach San Francisco. For the longest time, when, when, what the story John just shared, it was a pews with maybe 60, 60 people. Yeah. And so... As you can imagine, when a traveling evangelist said, I see this place packed yeah. with people, appreciate your honesty, at the time they, they didn't believe him. No. And, but when Pastor Terry took over and really had a vision to outreach, and I think it was, I think it's really God's hand that it, it's no doubt that I think it would be almost sin if we didn't utilize the talent that had, God had brought forth. That's right. With That's the musicians right. here, with the mm -hmm. creative arts people. Mm -hmm. yep. Pastor Terry really believed that to reach San Francisco, to reach this culture, that he needed to use the arts mm -hmm. and use uh, music, the arts, technology, yeah. and, 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 use it and present, present Jesus in such a way that anybody off the street can walk in mm. and experience God. And really, I, mean, I started attending in 94, and I, I remember the pews, and actually we weren't even using the balcony even back in 94. Mm. And I didn't even know that door lifted up. <laughs> that, I thought it was a whole different area over there. So part of what I wanted to convey to all of you is to say, you know, we have an exciting opportunity here. Is that Brother Johnson and Brother George, and, and most, many of you, the first time you might have met Brother George is when He's ushering up in the balcony during the 10.30 services. And 12. 12.30 uh, noon service. And, and I, I wanted you to see how, how, how you serve the Lord. I mean, you, you know, we just finished uh, uh, the Seasons of Life series just, just a few months ago. And here, are, here these gentlemen are in their winter years of their lives. And many of us here are 
in either in the summer years of our lives, right in the time when we can really do, really have an impact for the Lord. Mm. So I want to transition here. If, if you can, and, and one of the things, again, in Father's Day, I mean, I'm just, just share just one little story about my dad. One of the things my dad told me was, a measure of a man is not what he starts, but what he finishes. And I wanted all of you to see that this is perhaps what it means to finish well, to finish strong. And that I, I, wanted, I wanted all of you to see, well, how, how can we serve the Lord the rest of our lives? I mean, maybe international missions is in your future. Maybe not. Maybe it is being faithful in your corporate life and being a good witness. Whatever it may be, I, I want to spend the next 10 minutes. If you could kind of break up into groups of four or five, just, just where you are, I want you to share and pray about Maybe you don't know. Maybe it is as, as maybe you're aware, just asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you here in this city at this time? Okay. It's a very, very, and some of you know who are keeping up, this is 2008 is going to be a very, very interesting year, mm. especially in San Francisco and the nation. Okay. And it just even in a small way, they say polit all politics is local, right? Perhaps all ministry is local. <coughs> in your families, and in your workplace. So right now, um, I'd like for you to kind of just break up into groups of four or five and just kind of share about perhaps what God is doing in your life and to just pray, pray together, encourage each other. Maybe you can share. Maybe if you're bold enough, if you have a calling that God has called you to, then maybe you could share and that others can pray for you. So again, um, in about 10 minutes, I'll, I'll just kind of bring everyone together and just wrap up in prayer. So if you guys can break up into groups of just, just four or five, just where are you sitting, okay? And just kind of share um, about what, what, what calling God may have for you and just be encouraging of each other, okay?